We're doing a series on some of the parables of Jesus, these earthly stories with some heavenly meanings, some heavenly significance. We're looking at chapter 12 today. Luke chapter 12, not much of an intro, but let me look at Show your attention there at verse 1. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples. And so in these verses leading up to verse 12, Jesus is talking about some very, very significant spiritual matters. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And so he wants to warn his disciples about spiritual hypocrisy. There in verse 4, I say to you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I say, fear him. So in the context of persecution for one's faithfulness to God, don't fear men, but rather fear God. Verse 6, are not... Five sparrows sold for two cents, yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of one's head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than sparrows. God, Jesus is speaking about God's care for his people, that he knows us and he has his eyes upon us. I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not worry about what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Magnificent profound, powerful, spiritual truth. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Where did that come from? This is a materialistically minded man. Here he is in the presence of the Son of God who is teaching with such profound authority on such profound truth about the spiritual nature of life. And all he wants is his money. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. This guy gets his chance with Jesus to talk to him about something, to to throw out a question. Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? One commentator said, when Jesus said, man, it was far from cordial. Another, severe. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? You have missed 
what my ministry is all about. I have come to seek and to save the lost. I have come to bring sinners into relationship with God now and forevermore. I have come to open up the wealth of the age to come, not to be so concerned with your money now. This was a materialistically minded man. And then Jesus took the opportunity. In verse 15, he said to them, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed. There's a warning and now some wisdom. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So in that warning, whether this man was burning with greed or simply that was a danger for him, we don't know. But Jesus knew and he addresses this sin of greed. At its core, it's simply the desire to have more. One called it the consuming desire to have more and more material things. Greed. Within classic historical theology, those who took it upon themselves to, to gather up all of the sins that you and I can commit into seven, greed was one of them, the seven deadly sins. There's a proverb, the book of Proverbs, the leech has two daughters, give, give. There are three things that will not be satisfied, four that will not say enough. Sheol or, or death, right? Death is always wanting more. Or the barren womb. How desperately does the barren womb want? Earth that is never satisfied with water. Well, we know about that right now, right? The earth is saying, rain. We want more water. And fire that never says enough. Well, we've seen that in Hawaii. Give, give. Never enough, never enough, never enough. More, more. It's greed. And Jesus said, beware of it. He noticed the greed in this man's heart and possibly even in his brother's. His brother maybe was holding tightly onto what he had, and this one was longing incessantly for what he didn't have. Greed is an equal opportunity menace. It affects those who have much, and it affects those who have little. And Jesus said, beware of it. Be on guard against it. 
seemingly has the idea of not necessarily being on guard, but even go on the offensive to make sure it doesn't take hold of your soul. There's at least a few things that are problematic, right? And you could probably add to this list. Greed, the desire for more and more spiritual things, is distracting, right? Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. On these, the whole law, Love God and love others. But we do what? More stuff, more stuff, more money, more stuff, new stuff, better stuff, bigger stuff. We get distracted by the desire for more and more. It's distracting. Number two is it can be distorting or deceiving. It distorts our understanding about what life is really about. It deceives us into thinking that true life, real life, satisfaction is found in money and the accumulation of material things. That's where life really is. So it can distract us from what's really important. It can distort our perspective or deceive us into thinking that life is bound up in how much of this that I can accumulate and enjoy in this life. And it can be devastating. Greed can be devastating because it can lead us to lie, to steal, to borrow too much, to gamble, to work too much, to ignore our spouse and our kids to not give to the church and other great causes, to waste money on frivolous things, to spend too much on clothes and houses and cars, etc., to try to impress, to butt heads with our siblings. This is going on in this case. As, as Paul would say, right, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and many by longing for it have pierced themselves with many a pang. So Jesus said, listen, you got to be careful about it. Beware. Be on guard about this consuming desire for more. And then the wisdom, for not even when one has an abundance, does life consist of his possessions. And that can be hard for us to believe because the word from our sponsor is what? Life consists in the abundance of riches. Almost everything we hear and read and listen to encourages us to believe that the life worth living, the good life, the desirable life, the life that is longed for is a life of boundless material wealth. But Jesus says that's not what life consists of. And it's crazy if we think about this. Jesus is telling this story in a predominantly agrarian society, right? 
good night. You think about the society in which we live. If Jesus had a message for them, what is his message for us? Jesus, if, if, if life does not consist in the abundance of riches, then what does it consist of? He doesn't tell us yet. He tells a parable. Verse 16. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. That's great. This man was rich and his land was very productive, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. In just a minute, Jesus is going to call this man a fool, but it's not because he was successful, and it's not because his land was productive. There's nothing wrong in and of itself with money and possessions. And there's nothing wrong with being successful in making more of it. Again, Jesus will call him a fool, but not because the land was productive. He began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do? So he's, he's got this productivity, which is wonderful, and, but now he's got a problem. His productivity has caused him a good problem. What am I going to do with all of this that has now come my way? He's been so productive, he's got no, not enough room to store his crops. And at this point, he really has an opportunity to do something with the, the productivity that has come his way. And he begins to reason to himself. Maybe we'll come back to it, but, but that may be problem number one with him. You and I are stewards of all that God has entrusted to us. And so we are meant not merely to reason with ourselves about what to do with it, but talk to God about it because it came from him and he's entrusted it to us. We are not owners of it. We're stewards of it. And so we're meant to say, God, what would you have me to do with, you've with what you've entrusted to my care? But he, at least practically, is living as if God does not exist or God is not to be called into the question. He began to reason with himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. So here's his plan. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So there's his plan. With the great productivity, what he's going to do is he's going to expand, and there's nothing wrong with expanding. 
so that one can even increase the productivity. But in addition to his expanding, he's going to, maybe it might be too strong, but he's going to hoard. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And then, not only will he expand and will he hoard, but then he's going to indulge himself. I'll say to my soul, and kind of get this picture of him, you know, in his leather chair and the dark walls of his office. Maybe he's got a pipe in his mouth, you know, and he's just leaning back, talking to himself. So, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. I mentioned his godlessness. He doesn't seem to take God into the picture at all with the productivity and the results of it that have come his way. We can take note of the self-centeredness of what he is doing here. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build large ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, There's a self-centeredness to him and the self-indulgence. He's going to eat and drink and be merry. He's going to indulge himself in all of his riches. But then certainly there's the presumption, right? He is presuming upon the future. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years come. Do many goods equal many years? Obviously not. I've shared with you before, but one of the lessons that God reminded me in my own journey through cancer was James, the book of James, because I was going to go on sabbatical, and I had Almost every day of that sabbatical planned, I knew exactly where I was going to be, where our family was going to be, what we were going to do, and all of that. And I was reminded again, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, and we will spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are but a vapor that is here today and is gone tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will also, we will live and also do this or that. I was just confronted again with a verse I had memorized years ago that, Mitch, you can put your plans together, but don't be presumptuous, brother. Your life is in God's hands. He thinks that he's going to have many years. Maybe he will and maybe he won't. He thinks in those many years that he's going to have the health 
to enjoy it. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Even if he does live a long life and he's healthy in his older age, he maybe is presuming that all else in life will be just fine. Maybe it will and maybe it won't. Here's the lesson just into my soul. Here's a lesson I'm having to remind myself over and over and over again. And I've talked to a handful of people about it. I've been getting this thought in my head. If we can just get through this Molly thing, then man, life's going to be good. Right? There was Tara's cancer. Then there was my cancer. Now there's Molly's cancer. If we can just get the all clear and we can get through this one, we can breathe. That's presumptuous, right? It's presumptuous too. No idea what else God may have in store in his plans for our lives. Our lives are not in our hands. This kind of presumptuousness is foolishness. This kind of pride is foolishness. This kind of godlessness is foolishness. Verse 20, God said to him, you fool. It's not many times in the Bible at all that God calls somebody a fool. I can think of only one other place. It's in the book of Psalms. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And in Psalm 2, God laughs at mockers. In fact, this may be the only place where God himself speaks and calls a man a fool. The Greek word is moron. What does that sound like? Moron. You're living in this godlessness as if there were no God. God said to him, there is a God. You're living in this presumption about the future. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? That idea of your soul is required of you, the best I could read on it is it, it, it may carry the idea that, that the life, the soul that you and I have is on loan from God. He's entrusted to you and to me life. And we, it's it's going to be required of us, seemingly. We're going to have to give an account for the life that he entrusted to us. And to this guy, God says, tonight is that night. Your life, your soul is, is required. You will give an account to God. Now who will own what you have prepared? That's the age old, you can't take it with you, right? We labor so hard for the accumulation of our stuff. 
but it's going to go to somebody else. So is the man. And here's the punchline, if you will, of the whole thing. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus, if life does not consist in the abundance... For even when one has an abundance of, excuse me, even when one has an abundance, does his life consist of his possessions? It it, it doesn't. Well, then what does it consist of? Where is true life meant to be found? And he didn't give us the answer. He told us a parable and then. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's where true life is meant to be found. Be rich toward God. Be rich toward God. Don't store up treasure for oneself. Now, Maybe seemingly the idea of storing up for oneself is that sense of self-centeredness. I, 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 my, my, my. We store up treasure for ourselves when we are productive and when that productivity brings with it the money and the possessions and the like but our only thought on it is, I made it, I'll make the decisions with it, and I'll indulge myself with it. Rather than understanding God gave it to me, he's entrusted it to my care, I want to use it in a way that would be pleasing to him and blessing to others. You might remember the story of Solomon in Ecclesiastes. We're talking about a little bit in Sunday school this morning. At least one of the things that Solomon seemingly is doing in the book of Ecclesiastes is teasing out where does one find life? Where does one find satisfaction? Where does one find meaning in life? And he went on a search to find meaning, significance, life apart from God. That's what the phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes, under the sun, probably means. That that Solomon was on a search to find pleasure, meaning, significance, under the sun, life lived down here apart from God. I want to read a little bit of it to you. He, he went on the search, and one of his searches was, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to find life and significance in money and in the accumulation of stuff. And he's telling us this so you and I won't make the same mistake. He's saying, I've been there, I've done it. 
I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. Behold, it too is futility. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely. Seemingly, I heard my old pastor say it like that. He got drunk and took notes. Let me drink and see if this gives me life. Let me have another drink and let me see if it gives me pleasure and satisfaction, really. I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what was good, what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven in a few years of their lives. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had homeborn slaves. I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me, meaning I thought about this while I was doing it. Is it providing what I want? All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. It didn't scratch the itch. Money and the accumulation of the stuff that comes with it alone or at all will scratch the itch. Only God can. And so, friends, it's not the money that you and I make that is bad. And it's not making more money that is bad. It's the incessant desire to get more of it that distracts us from the great calling of God upon our lives, that deceives us to think that's where life really is, and the devastation it can bring to our soul and the lives of others because we're so after more of it. We need to recognize that everything that we have is a gift from God. He's entrusted it to us. We are not owners of it. We are but stewards, and we are meant to look to him for how we are to manage it. We're to be rich toward God. One said, this means be rich in those things that are pleasing to him. I don't know exactly how to define this, but maybe here are a few things. That it would look like this, that we would seek to know God through his son, Jesus Christ. The 
pull of money and stuff and possessions and more of it is so strong. But make sure that the priority of our life is to know God through his son Jesus, whom he gave to give his life upon a cross to pay the penalty for our sins and rise again so that through repentance of sins and trusting in him, we could have eternal life. It also means to seek him in his word and in prayer. So we, we not only want to come to that initial relationship with God through his son Jesus, realizing that that's the most important decision in all of life, but then we want to spend our lives seeking to know him. Because life is not lived merely under the sun, and life is not merely this materialistic world. There is a God and a spiritual nature to life. And the greatest things for you and me is to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Being rich toward God probably also means to mold our character to be like his. It means probably to serve his people, to share his gospel. And with those resources that God entrusts to us, to look to him for his direction in how to release some of it into his kingdom. Supporting one's local church, supporting great ministries in our city, supporting missionaries around the world, supporting great causes that are on your heart. Managing, stewarding, not seemingly having this sense of I own it and I'm going to indulge myself in it that this particular fool had. There's no danger in being rich toward God and poor in this world. There's no danger in that at all. Might be a little harder to pay some bills. Might cause some trouble here and there in getting some things done. But if you give your life to Christ and you seek to obey him as a loving husband, a strategic father, a kind neighbor, to trust God with joy in the ups and downs of life, to use the spiritual gifts and the talents that he has given to you to serve others, to help them grow in the Lord, to share the gospel with neighbors and friends, to, to take some of the assets that God entrusts to you and generously give them for the cause of Christ, there will be no regret in a life like that even if you never drove that car or lived in that neighborhood. But there is great danger in being rich in this world but poor towards God. Surely this man was. He was rich, and he got richer. But he heard from God at the end, fool. 
You were distracted, deceived, and in the end, devastated because of greed. Alistair Begg tells this story. We'll close with this. There's an old story told of a king who had a very foolish jester. No matter how bad of a mood the king was in, the jester was always able to cheer him up and make him laugh. One day, the king told the jester, certainly no one in all the world is a bigger fool than you. I want you to take my golden staff and travel the world. If you can find one person who is a bigger fool, give them this staff. The jester went off on his journey, traveling far and wide, seeking out a bigger fool. While he was gone, the king became very ill. Upon the jester's return, he found the king about to die. The king called all of his family and servants to his bedside and said, I am about to leave you. I'm going on a long journey, and I shall not return again to this place. So I have called you to my bedside to bid you farewell. The jester stepped forward and spoke, Your majesty, may, may I ask you a question? When you have journeyed abroad visiting your people or other country, countries, your heralds and servants have always gone before you making preparations for the trip. May I ask you, your majesty, have you made preparations for this long journey you are about to take? into eternity. Alas, replied the king, I have made no preparations. Then said the jester, take this golden staff with you, for if you have made no preparations for your destiny, you indeed are a bigger fool than myself. Friends, the day's coming when your soul will be required of you. Have you made preparations? Have you considered the spiritual nature of life or are you only living for money, stuff, possessions? Be rich toward God. Begin by trusting in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to him, and then seek him through his word and prayer and fellowship with other Christians, and seek to submit to his word and trust him and obey him so that your character would be more and more like Jesus, and serve his people and share his gospel and take your money and use it to be a blessing to others not only to indulge yourself. Let's pray, and then let's sing. Father, what a danger this is for us. I know it is for me. And so I pray that by your very power, through your spirit, you might work in each of our hearts if our, if our hands are too tightly gripped on the stuff of earth, that you would help us to, to loosen it 
that we might more love and find our life and pleasure and satisfaction in you and in your son and in your word and in your people and in your mission that we might be rich toward God. And Father, if there's any here today who've never begun that relationship with you, through turning from themselves and from their sins to trust in Jesus, the one who lived and died and rose for them, they've never taken hold of him for the forgiveness of their sins and to be the new leader and Lord of their life. Right now, would you open up their hearts to turn to Christ? We will pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.